Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, August 21st, 2022, and this is show number 902. Well, it's really fun to be back in the saddle for what Stephen, I think, is the first time in three weeks that we have uh, been able to do a live show. I thought we had missed three live shows, which would make it four weeks, but I'm not good at counting this kind of thing. Anyway, it's really fun to be back with the uh, with the live crowd. Uh, you also can join us if you want to sometime at 5 p.m. Pacific time at podfeet.com slash live every single Sunday night from now on for a while until I take more time off. Last week, I said that the interview with Bodie Grimm of the Kilowatt podcast with the uh, Orange Chargeover folks was the crossover event of the summer. But we've got yet another crossover event of the summer this week. Now, normally Bart and I would have recorded an episode of Programming by Stealth, but he had an awesome family event to attend. He also wanted a specific type of guest for his Let's Talk Photography podcast. He suggested that I be that guest, and we publish it both as a Let's Talk Photography episode and a Chit Chat Across the Pond Light episode. Bart recently did an episode of Let's Talk Photography in which he explained the impending demise of the DSLR. For those who haven't bought a big girl camera before, SLR stands for Single Lens Reflex, and the D stands for Digital. The analog versions were just called SLRs. Cameras with single lens reflex, or SLR, have a giant mirror that sends the true optical image through the lens to the viewfinder. When the photographer hits the shutter button, a mechanism flips the mirror out of the way, which exposes the sensor to the light from the lens, temporarily occluding the view through the viewfinder. Now, there are advantages to this design, but the mirror is heavy and large, the mechanism adds weight and volume, and the lenses are gigantic and heavy. The solution was the invention of mirrorless cameras back in 2008 with the Panasonic Lumix DMC-G1 in Japan. With a mirrorless camera, the light goes through the lens directly to the sensor and never goes directly to the viewfinder. Instead, they use an electronic viewfinder, which is essentially just a teeny display. Early versions of mirrorless cameras struggled to get uh, to provide clear imagery in the electronic viewfinder without any lag. These problems were solved a long time ago, and now the electronic viewfinders feel almost like the real thing through the lens. With that long explanation of the technology, the reason Bart wanted to have me on Let's Talk Photography is that he's finally pondering making the switch from a DSLR to a mirrorless camera, and he wanted to know what's it really like on the other side. I made the transition to a mirrorless camera back in June of 2014 when I gave up my Nikon D5100 DSLR for an Olympus OMD EM10 mirrorless camera, and I never looked back, so I'm an enthusiastic supporter of this. I do want to tell you, in the conversation, we talk about two photos I recently took in Iceland with my Olympus EM5 Mark III, one of a puffin that I'm delighted with, and one of the Gilfoss waterfall. And that's kind of redundant because it turns out Foss stands for water, means waterfall in Icelandic, so it's Gilfoss, or it's waterfall, waterfall. Anyway, those two photos are included in my show notes and in Bart's as well. If you want to hear the original content of this, be sure to subscribe to Let's Talk Photography. It's a fantastic show done by Bart. Two weeks ago, Bodie Grimm gave us a review of the Flume water monitor and how it helped him find water leaks in his home and how he was able to monitor his water usage overall. Kevin Alder, also known as Steve's wingman in the live chat room, wrote a comment on Bodie's blog post that I'd like to read to you. Here's what he wrote. I like the idea of the Flume device, but as water meters are starting to move away from magnetic disks as the way they work, I wonder what Flume will do. 
Also, in many jurisdictions, meters are not located in the home and located outside the home in what is called a meter crock or pit. This belongs to the municipality or water company, and you need to get permission to open it and put something in there with the meter. So I encourage anyone considering doing this to first consult with their water provider and see what they're allowed to do. Conserving water as one of our most precious resources is critical, and I've worked for a water and wastewater utility for almost 40 years, so this is an issue very close to my heart. Well, thanks a lot, Kevin, for letting us know about that. Um, that's really interesting. I know our water pit or crock, whatever it's called, is definitely outside on the median, so it would be good to know that we would need to ask permission first. If you're an alert listener to the NoCellacast, you may have noticed that I played Steve in my conversation about the Fujinon image-stabilized binoculars two weeks in a row on shows 900 and 901. Lucky for you, there was a lot of content for the show on Monday, August 15th, so you probably just figured I'd had too many Mai Tais in Hawaii and you skipped ahead to the next chapter. You do know that the NoCellacast has chapter marks so you can skip ahead or skip back, right? Hopefully you did know that. If you didn't, you do now. Well, I was originally alerted by Alistair Jenks to the problem I had created within minutes of having published the episode. I immediately started to panic because it's pretty much impossible to fix a podcast once it's been published. Your podcatcher is super quick to update the feed, so you get the wrong episode, and I can't make that wrong episode not exist in your podcatcher. I could delete the episode and republish the feed without the latest show, and then while it's in that pre-show situation, go back, edit the podcast, do the publishing again, but invariably it ends up with a mess on your end because some people still have the old episode and some get the new episode. It's also a lot of work on my end to try to do that. I was exhausted from travel and I had jet lag and pushing the show out in one day was, was really hard. And remember, I was trying to get my Mac working from the wiping Apple did when they replaced the battery. So it was, it was a tough day. As soon as I started to talk about trying to fix the problem, Steve told me, relax, live with it. I think it was good advice. I did send out a tweet immediately telling people I was aware of the error, and I explained the problem in our Slack community at podfeet.com slack. I went to Patreon and I wrote an out-of-band letter to those who contribute financially to keep the show going. Now, I did one more thing that you might not realize exists. I sent an out-of-band newsletter through the Podfeet Press. This is an email newsletter that is normally generated just by the feed itself, so it gives you the show notes in a nice email form. Now, while it's not normally a fascinating newsletter, when things go belly up from time to time, I use this mechanism to alert listeners to the problem. If you'd like to be on distribution for the Podfeed Press, just go over to podfeed.com and look in the upper right corner of the menu bar. You'll see a button that says Podfeed Press Sign Up Page. Once I realized that I'd messed up the show and I'd alerted listeners through all of these different mechanisms, I started trying to figure out how exactly did I make that mistake? In order to explain, I thought it might be fun if I pulled back the curtain on how I manage, or in this case mismanage, complicated shows with a lot of contributors. When I go on vacation, as you know, I put out the call for listener contributions. Every single time I do this, people come out of the woodwork with fabulous content for us. The contributors fall into three categories. The first category is those who are pretty seasoned at doing this. They quickly whip out a recording for me, followed shortly afterwards by the written version for the blog post. The second category is those who really have the best of intentions, and they tell me they're going to try to do something, but then, you know what, life gets in the way. I love these people because they really do want to help, but recording for the show is not an easy task. 
Eventually, they do come through with some content, maybe at a later date. Heck, look at Stephen Getz. Took him about a year to do his headphone review, but he did it in the end. That's why I love this group of people, too. Then there are those who do recordings and give me a write-up, but maybe they don't get them to me as quickly as that first group. So they're kind of in a later pile of people, but they give me the the luxury of holding a few for a later date when life gets in my way. These people also have a special place in my heart because they save my sanity at unexpected times. As the contributions and promises begin to flow in, I start a spreadsheet to track them and arrange them by episode date. My goal is to balance the shows so that they're all long enough and we don't have maybe two contributions by the same person, because people like Jill and Alistair, they tend to give me multiple reviews, which is fantastic, but I figure you probably don't want to have them back to back. Let's sprinkle the love over several shows. Well, this year added extra complications because there were the two Iceland shows by Alistair and Bart, and then the shows to wrap around on either side of the Hawaii trip. My head was spinning so much that I actually forgot that I had originally planned to trick the SMR podcast folks into doing a show while I was in Hawaii, but I forgot I asked him to do that. So instead, I did it myself with the help of the contributors. That was my first mistake. Working around the Hawaii trip wasn't too complicated, but it was definitely challenging. I was going to be gone for two Sundays in a row. So I committed to giving you one show out early before I left, and the second one would be a day late, but not a dollar short. Anyway, in my spreadsheet, I put three bold section titles, one for the show before my trip to Hawaii, one for the show after, and a third category I called holding. I put dates for the two shows and notes about why it was challenging in particular. For example, the show before Hawaii couldn't come out just one day early because my son Kyle and his wife and my two adorable grandchildren were coming to visit for the weekend before the trip. That meant I had to get the show out on Thursday, August 4th. I made a note that I would only have four days to write the show, and that was a way of reminding myself, you better get cracking on this early in the week. Don't take Mondays off like you usually do. For each listener contribution, or things I'd be creating on my own, I added a column for how long I expected it to be, and then any notes associated with this contribution. In a cell next to the show date, I put the calculation to tell me how much time the sum of the contributions would be for that show. And that was going to help me balance out the shows pretty well and make sure one wouldn't come up short. Now, Bart had promised to give me a solo security bits show to fold into the before the Hawaii episode, and Sandy had sent me the Apple Watch charger review she had created. These two added together did not add up to a full show. So Bodie and I jumped on a Zoom call and recorded a segment about cheap electric vehicles, and that gave me enough meat for the full show. Now, I went through the same process for the After Hawaii show on August 15th as I received contributions from Troy and Jill. Steve and I recorded the binocular conversation, and I needed to fit that in as well. I now had a preliminary plan for both shows. I put a a photo of this in the the show notes, so I should say a screenshot, so you can see what it looked like in my preliminary plan. So this plan gave me a healthy 59 minutes for the August 4th show and 72 minutes for the August 15th show. The second show would be Jill talking about her camping tech, Steve and I talking about binoculars, and then another security bits from Bart. Now notice what I just said. Steve and I talked about binoculars after I got back from Hawaii. But then I started looking at the four articles waiting in the holding bin. I had Bodie's interview with Orange about apartment car charging, Troy had his AirPods Max review, Bodie had a review of Flume, and Jill and I had a recording about her new podcasting audio setup. This was just told me it was time to reorder things. 
I didn't want to lose my original layout, so I duplicated the preliminary plan in a set of columns to the right, and I started messing with the order. I was able to balance things out better, and it looked great. Okay, so what went wrong? With this point, I tootled off to play with my grandchildren in Hawaii without a care in the world because everything was already planned out. I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew upon my return, I only needed to write an intro to the show, assemble the audio recordings, write the blog post, create the feed, and publish. There would be no decisions to make. So how did things go wrong? Well, I started noodling the steps I followed upon my return, trying to figure that out. I remembered a fatal flaw in the process. It's something you may be familiar with. It's called user error. When I got home and had gotten a good start on getting my Mac back up to speed with the help of Migration Assistant after the great Apple disk wipe of 2022, I opened the spreadsheet. I glanced at the original and revised plans for the show, and I wondered, why did I put the same thing in twice? I didn't look closely at these two plans. I did not check to see which plan I had followed in my original recording before I went to Hawaii. So without even reviewing my own careful work, I deleted all the columns to the right, which was the revised version of the plan. So remember, the rev that revised plan not only revised the show after Hawaii, the show before Hawaii had been changed as well. So looking at only the preliminary plan, that binocular review wasn't even there. It was not played. It was happily sitting in the section for the after Hawaii episode. Okay, so when I remembered what I'd done, I realized... I really have to find the older version of the spreadsheet because I deleted that piece uh, because this uh, spreadsheet was going to affect this week's show as well. If uh, it, was, it was definitely time to find it in a backup. Now, I use Carbon Copy Cloner to backup my Mac locally, and I do run snapshots, but I don't find it very easy to navigate back in time. I've successfully done it, but there was an easier solution. I use Backblaze for my offsite backups, and they retain older versions of changed files for, I think it's 30 days, unless you pay them for uh, even longer retention. So Backblaze works as a system preference pane, but file recovery is done through the web interface at backblaze.com. I logged into the interface and discovered my backups hadn't started running for the last 14 days because when Apple wiped my machine, Backblaze lost that connection. I hadn't got back, I had not gotten back into the preference pane and reconnected it yet. Now, it's not to worry, Backblaze does send you a notice uh, right at 14 days, so I would have discovered this organically and known to fix it, but I was glad I'd logged in and I discovered it right now. Now, before connecting my new Mac to my old backup, I looked through my files online at Backblaze and I found my spreadsheet nicely preserved from before we left for Hawaii. Now, in this case, it was easy to find the correct version because my new and incorrect version had never been uploaded to Backblaze. But at the top of the Backblaze Restore section, you can set the date range for file uploads. I could have set that date to before I got back from Hawaii, and the correct version would have been shown to me. I'm a huge believer in backups, as I'm sure all of you are, and I'm consistently delighted with Backblaze and how it saves my bacon, even on silly mistakes as my own. Now, this is not a paid advertisement, but also remember with Backblaze, you always have access to all of the data that's on your computer wherever you are in the world because you can get to it through their web interface. So when I got the correct version of the episode math back into my hot little hands, I was delighted to realize that I had also now stopped myself from making even more of a hash of things. You see, before looking at the correct spreadsheet, I had planned to play, to play the Bodhi Flume review this week again. 
and you already heard it two weeks ago. So fixing this and figuring out how I broke it was really, really important. I'm not sure there's a bottom line here other than I'm sorry if you were worried about my mental acuity when you heard the repeated segment. I do not promise never to mess up again, but I hope you enjoyed at least hearing a little bit about how this mess came to be. If you've been listening to the NoSilicast and chit-chat across the pond for a long time, do you ever find yourself thinking, wow, I sure get a, val- a lot of value out of the PodFeed podcast. I wish I could think of some way I could help support Allison to show my appreciation. Well, guess what? There is a way to do exactly that. Head on over to podfeed.com slash Patreon. Choose a dollar amount that matches how you feel about the shows that fits within your budget. Only a tiny percentage of the listeners support the show financially, and every single dollar really makes a difference. Every once in a while, I come across an app that does something delightful for me, but I hesitate to try to tell you about it because its capabilities are far beyond what I can teach. I'm going to overcome that natural instinct to hesitate and tell you anyway about an awesome app called Raycast. I'll tell you what I do know how to do with it and leave it as an exercise for the student if you want to explore more. Even if you use Raycast for only the most basic things I'm going to talk about, I think you're actually going to get a lot out of it. Let me start with my problem to be solved. Spotlight has turned into a world of hurt for me on my 14-inch M1 MacBook Pro. I thought about telling you about all of the problems I've been having, but instead, let's just say that it's often unusable, so I was seeking an alternative when I stumbled across an application called Raycast. Raycast is an open-source, fast, extendable launcher for the Mac. You can install it via Homebrew or from Raycast.com. It's free for personal use, and they're both free and paid tiers for Teams. Very briefly, my problem with Spotlight is that it keeps re-indexing my drive. While it's indexing, it works just fine, but when it finishes, it can't find any of my Apple apps. Third-party apps will launch, but not Apple apps. I use Spotlight primarily as an app launcher, so whenever Spotlight got annoying, I would use Launchpad to launch apps, but that got old after a while. Right around that time that I was fully annoyed, I heard about Raycast, and I decided to give it a a whirl. So Raycast does not suffer from the re-indexing problem. Whether Spotlight was functioning properly or not, Raycast continued to be able to find and launch all of my apps. So it basically met, uh, it got table stakes. In the preferences for Raycast, you can enable using Spotlight, but it's disabled by default, and it also calls it deprecated. Through some behind-the-scenes magic, Raycast is indexing my drive and doing a far better job of it than Spotlight. After a day or so of testing Raycast, I was sold on it as a replacement for me for Spotlight, so I remapped Command Space to engage Raycast instead of Spotlight. If Raycast only launched apps for me, I would have been perfectly happy, but it's so much more than that. As I was using Raycast to simply launch apps, I stumbled onto a few more things it can do. I wanted to launch Reminders to create a new reminder, but when I typed R-E-M, Raycast showed me three options, Create Reminders, My Reminders, and then launch the actual Reminders app. Since I really wanted to create a new one, not see my existing reminders, I hit enter to select Create a Reminder. I was taken to a new screen with my cursor in a title field. After entering the title of my reminder, hitting tab took me to the notes field. Hitting tab again took me to the due date field. And I tried using natural language to enter tomorrow at nine, and it knew exactly what I meant. I could then set the priority and change to a different list than my default. At any point in this process, I could have hit Command-Enter to simply create the reminder. This doesn't sound like magic, but if we compare this process to the incredibly tedious reminders interface, it feels magical. 
The main thing that bugs me about reminders is that while you can use natural language to say tomorrow at nine, and it does recognize it as a time and date, you can't just hit tab or enter to have reminders accept it. You have to take your hands off the keyboard, move one over to your mouse, hover over the blue text for tomorrow at nine, wait for the dropdown to appear with the suggested time, move your cursor now to the time it is suggested, and ensure it is turned blue, and then and only then click the mouse and move your hands back to the keyboard. It bothers me every single time I have to do it, especially because my brain expects efficiency. So at first, when I see it turn blue, knowing it recognized tomorrow at nine, I just hit tab. That doesn't work, but it does stay blue, inviting me to hover and select the time. But that's just so much unnecessary wasted work. With Raycast, I don't even have to launch the Reminders app, and it's all done with the keyboard. Before I tell you about some more awesome things Raycast can do, I have to take a sidebar to talk about extensions. Raycast comes with a zillion built-in extensions. I counted. Anyway, you can go to the Raycast store to get more. The store is free, and it's filled with extensions that developers have added to their applications. But before even looking at the store, let's talk about how to work with existing extensions. If you open Raycast Preferences and you select the Extensions tab, you'll see the list of zillions I mentioned. Seriously, the scroll bar is small on this list. I'm a little bit in a chicken and the egg situation here. It's hard to explain extensions without an example, but if I start with an example, then it won't explain the full breadth and depth of what extensions are all about. So I think I'll start with a super silly extension that everyone can enjoy and no one actually needs. It's called Confetti. If you open Raycast and type in Confetti and hit enter, Raycast will show throw confetti on all over your screen. It is absolutely delightful. Now let's say we really like confetti and we want to be able to throw confetti onto our screen more quickly and efficiently. If we open up Raycast Preferences to the Extension tab and do a search for confetti, we'll see three options. We can add an alias, we can record a hotkey, or we can disable the extension. I don't know what kind of monster would disable confetti, but uh, perhaps this disabling is useful for the other extensions. If we record a hotkey, say option H, we can, without even launching Raycast, throw confetti on our screen at any time. Think of how awesome this will be during your next incredibly boring screen sharing session on a Zoom meeting for work. Now, I'm a hotkey junkie, and I love using Text Expander and Keyboard Maestro for those hotkeys, but even I have my limits on how many of them I can keep in my head. If hotkeys don't work for you, you might like the alias option better. In Recast Extensions, you can type in a phrase or a couple of characters instead as, a, as, a, um, as an alias. To invoke the alias, open Raycast and type in the alias to jump right to the command. Now, confetti is a trivial example because it comes up as soon as you type the first couple of letters of the word confetti, so let's try something a little more complicated. Raycast comes with 52 built-in window management options from classics like top half and crazy options like bottom left sixth. It's highly probable that you will not want to sift through all 52 of them to find the reasonable size option in window management. So instead, you could create an alias of, say, RS to find reasonable size more quickly. Once you've assigned RS to reasonable size, you can invoke Raycast, type RS, and hit enter, and your frontmost window will change to what Raycast considers a reasonable size. 
Note that in Raycast extension preferences, you can also disable any extensions you prefer not to see, like I mentioned earlier. If you only like to use a small handful of the options in window management, you can disable the ones you don't use, which will make it more manageable if you do a search for window management in Raycast. Now, another reason I like aliases in Raycast over hotkeys is that they aren't universal across my Mac. I have to invoke Raycast first, which means I'm free to type those same characters as the alias in other apps without fear of causing my windows to go flying around. I needed to launch Calendar, and Raycast again delighted me by offering to show me my schedule for the next few days. It was really nifty to have that on demand at my fingertips without launching Calendar. Whatever you search for in Raycast will have a button in the bottom right that says Actions Command K. I recommend testing the Actions menu to see what else Raycast can do with whatever you're looking for. When I searched for Calendar in Raycast and asked to see the actions available, the second hit was My Schedule. When I selected My Schedule, it showed me everything that was on my calendar for that day and even a few things happening later in the week. I tested Command K to launch the Actions menu to see what else I could configure for my schedule. This popped up a few options, including Configure Command. Configure brought me to the Extensions pane and Preferences. In addition to being able to add an alias or record a hotkey, Calendar also had a right pane filled with more options. You can choose which calendars will be shown when you ask to see your schedule, and you can also choose whether to show events in your menu bar. Now, this might be difficult for you. It might fill up your menu bar too much, so you can choose to only show events before and after they start for five minutes so you don't see some big thing sitting up there all the time. While I'm recording right now, it says no Silicast Live, 24 minutes left, which tells me I better hurry up. (laughs) Anyway, you can even preview the camera before meetings start for video uh, conferences. This gave me the willies, so I did not enable that feature. I use Spotlight to do conversions and math for me pretty often. It's far faster for me to hit Command Space and type 3 plus 8 than it is to launch a calculator app or reach for my trusty HP 11C in my left desk drawer. Raycast can do the same calculations, and it does a very nice job of formatting it. In Spotlight, if you type in, say, 16 ounces, it will immediately convert it to pounds if you're in the United States. You can keep typing and you could write 16 ounces in kilograms and then it will tell you it's 0.45 kilograms. Raycast is slightly different. It waits for the units to which you want to convert before telling you any answers. Raycast does win on other conversions. Let's say I want to know what time it is at Bart's house. I can type time in Dublin and it immediately shows me the time at Bart's house. Spotlight only offers to open a web page to show you the time. It's far better to have the information right there rather than opening another app to see it. Now, I, create, I spent a great deal of time creating a web app called Time Shifter Clock that will tell you the time in the future at multiple locations. Guess what? Raycast could do it right out of the box for one other location. If I want to know what time it will be at Bart's house when it's 10 p.m. on September 7th at my house, I can type... Los Angeles, September 7 at 10 p.m. in Dublin. Raycast will then tell me it will be September 8, 2022 at 6 a.m. at Bart's house. Not bitter at all about my web app being Sherlocked. Really, really, I'm not. My app does more, but we won't belabor the point. Now, the one thing that annoys me about Raycast is that sometimes this conversion feature gets in my way. I use an app called MarsEdit from red-sweater.com to write my blog posts. When I try to launch Mars Edit from Raycast by typing the first few letters, it tells me that Mar can mean March. It's like it's doing a conversion to tell me Mar is the same as March. 
I have to hit the down arrow to launch Mars Edit, which I find annoying. I know I could search for Mars instead of Mar, and Mars Edit would be at the top, but that's not the point. The point is that Raycast launches the calculator to tell me that Mar equals March. What is that even for? I mean, I guess maybe if you don't know that Feb means February? Anyway, if I type Mar, it writes Tuesday 1 March underneath. All right, well, maybe I could find out what day of the week it was in the past. Steve and I got married on March 12, 1983, so I entered that date into Raycast, and it does nothing at all with it. I'd like to disable this particular reaction of Raycast to the text Mar, or at the very least, understand what it's for. In the Actions menu, one of the options is to make an extension a favorite. So I favorited Mars Edit, and now if I just type the letter M, it comes to the top along with Mail, which is also a favorite, but not as much favorite. This is pretty good, but I would have to train my brain to not type Mar, or I'm back to learning about March. My solution is to use Text Expander because I have a snippet to type out the whole name for Mars Edit. Luckily, I use that snippet often enough that that is ingrained in my brain as well, so this isn't that big of a deal. In fact, I probably added zero value to tell you this story because I doubt any of your apps will conflict with the conversions that Raycast offers you. But you know what? Sometimes it's all about me. Now, you probably know that I finally got religion about clipboard managers a few years ago. I'd heard people speak with breathless enthusiasm about them, but I never really grokked why they were so beloved. I am now wild about Copy M from AppRewear.com, but the cool thing about clipboard managers is you can actually have more than one. Turns out Raycast has a clipboard manager built right in. Launch the Raycast window and start typing the word clipboard, and at a few characters you'll see the clipboard history extension. Without any configuration at all, you can see that your clipboard history has already captured a lot of information since you installed it. I probably agreed to some privacy thing somewhere along the way, but I don't remember what it was. Anyway, once you look at your history, you can filter your history by type, for example, images, text, or links, to make it easier to go back in time to find what you want. When you select the item you want and you hit enter, or you double click it, it will paste it into your forefront application. If you use the action panel I talked about earlier with Command K, you can also copy the item to the clipboard. Use Quick Look on Images, annotate images with your preferred annotation tool like CleanShot X, or pin an entry you want to use often to the top of the history. You can even delete entries if perhaps the information copied was sensitive. Now, to satisfy my own curiosity, I tested type, uh, copying from 1Password, and the data I copy from 1Password does not show up inside the Clipboard History for Raycast or CopyM or the Clipboard History Manager built into Keyboard Maestro that I also have. But there are cases where you may copy sensitive information. For example, I'm sure all of you use Bart Bouchatz's uh, fabulous xkpasswd.net tool to generate long, strong, memorable passwords. When you do that, you will be copying them to put it, them into your password manager, so it might be nice to be able to delete specific items in a clipboard manager. Raycast has a really nifty trick in clipboard history. You can go to the clipboard history of an image and copy the text out of the image. It's seriously amazing. Now, there are two more interesting options in Raycast clipboard history in the action menu. Create snippet and create quick link. Let's explore those two parts of Raycast next. Snippets are like a limited version of Text Expander. By this, I mean you can use a few characters as a keyword to trigger the insertion of a snippet of text, such as your email address, by typing maybe comma em. In Raycast, if you search for snippet, you'll see create snippet, import snippets, and search snippets. 
If you choose Create Snippet, you'll be invited to provide a human-readable name, the snippet of text you want to splat into documents, and a keyword for the snippet. Once you've entered the information, be sure to hit Command-Enter, as it says in the bottom right, to actually finish creating your snippet. Once you've done that in any app that accepts text, type your keyword and your glorious snippet will be entered. Now, Text Expander is far more advanced than the snippets in Raycast, but if you have small needs, like just a few stock things you need to write from time to time, it's a very nice way to start getting addicted to this concept. I don't think Smile needs to worry about Text Expander being Sherlocked anytime soon by Raycast, like my time shifter clock was, but it's a nice little feature. Now, quick links are cool too. They're kind of like the keyword extension for Safari that I told you about back in February. Keyword search for Safari and quick links in Raycast are designed to make searching your favorite websites easier and more efficient. Let's use searching podfeed.com as an example for how to create and use quick links. In Raycast, search for quick links and one option will be to create a new quick link. This will give you a window with three fields to enter. The first field is the name, and this is where you enter what you want to type in order to trigger searching of a particular website. I entered SP for searching Podfeet. Now you need to enter the search link for the website you want to search. Just like with the keyword search extension for Safari, you do have to determine what a search query looks like for that particular site. The easiest way to figure this out is to do a native search on the website. So if you go to podfeed.com and use the magnifying glass to initiate any search on my site, you can see in the URL that it's the website URL, podfeed.com, followed by slash question mark s equals, and then you'll see the search query itself. The next field in Raycast is where you enter the link. You want to paste into there the entire search link you just created when you test it on, on podfeed.com, but erase everything after that equal sign. You don't want the search query to be in there. The instructions tell you to put squiggly bracket, query, close squiggly bracket, where the search term should go. Finally, you tell Raycast what tool to open with a quick link. You get to choose which browser will open this quick link. Now let's try using our fancy quick link to search podfeed.com. I'll do a search for Steve's blog post about the Fujinon image stabilized binoculars I was so excited that I played for you twice. I pop open Raycast and I type SP. Raycast shows me the favicon for the website, the tiny pair of pod feet you see in your browser tabs, followed by the word query in a little gray box. You have to hit tab to get to the query field or click on with your mouse you're like an animal and then enter your search query. Hit enter and you'll be taken right to podfeet.com in my browser of choice showing me Steve's blog post and both podcast episodes that feature our conversation about the Fujinon binoculars. Now, this is definitely one of those things that is far clumsier to explain than they are to execute. Let me say these execution steps more succinctly. Hit command space to launch Raycast, type SP, hit tab, type the thing you want to hit, find on Podfeet, hit enter. If you're a Safari user, I think keyword search is better at this than Raycast because it comes with so many searches already built for you, and those searches teach you what to look for on other websites. But Raycast works perfectly to perform the same function. If you don't like adding extensions to your browser, or more importantly, if you would prefer this quick search tool functionality on Edge or Firefox on your Mac, Raycast is an awesome solution. You could still use the instructions I wrote about keyword search to learn how to format these query strings and then apply what you learned to Raycast. I started this article by telling you how this tool was super deep and broad and I was afraid I couldn't do it justice. 
If you launch Raycast and search for store, you will find a vast array of tools with extensions for Raycast. You can peruse the listing on the Raycast site or just start searching for tools you use often from within the Raycast store. One of the ways I judge complex software is by their help files. I'm delighted to tell you that Raycast has fantastic documentation. Now, you won't find the documentation in the usual places. Instead, you find it inside Raycast. Type in manual, and you will be taken to a nice little manual on the web covering easy getting started topics, extensions, getting started with teams to share quick, uh, quick links, and more. To be honest, the way I found out most of what I know about Raycast was using a search engine to simply search for Raycast and whatever I wanted to learn about. Everyone is talking about Raycast right now, so it's easy to find the official information and those who are teaching about Raycast. Speaking of help with Raycast, you know I'm a big fan of Screencast Online tutorials, and not just because I work for them doing tutorials on my own. It's also because I learned from the tutorials myself. Darcy Hegarty, who is a new tutor for Screencast Online, just did a fantastic tutorial on Raycast. He explains everything very clearly. He doesn't waste time showing you repetitive tasks, but he shows you enough that you get the hang of the repetition you'll need to do. The voiceover work was perfect, the transitions were helpful, and I have become the biggest fan of Darcy's work as a result. Now remember, Screencast Online is a paid-for tutorial service, but you can get a free seven-day trial and binge-watch all available content. You can find Darcy's Raycast tutorial at a link in the show notes. Now, you may be wondering about the security of what you do with Raycast. First of all, you don't even have to create an online account unless you need to do team collaboration. In terms of tracking, their privacy statement is quite simple, and I'm going to read it to you. We respect privacy and never collect any sensitive data. Some interactions in the app are tracked anonymously. For example, we save usage statistics and error reports to constantly fix bugs and improve our product. Raycast is a pure Mac citizen, which does not require a web account with a login. Sensitive data is encrypted and stored locally. When you export data to another Mac, we provide options to encrypt the backup as well. Extensions communicate with third-party services directly, and users sign in through the industry standard OAuth protocol or use a personal access token. Credentials are stored securely in your keychain. Now, you may also be a Windows user like Al or a Linux user, and I know you're wondering whether Raycast is available for your platform. In their FAQs, they say, we want to nail the app for macOS first. Afterwards, we will apply our learnings to the Windows and Linux clients. The door isn't closed, but it's not yet open. So bottom line is, Raycast is a fantastic replacement for Spotlight, for launching apps and doing calculations, and its extendable framework has allowed many developers to make their apps more easily accessible with Raycast. For a free, open-source application, it is remarkably well-documented and supported. I know I've only scraped the surface of this fantastic tool, but I can tell it's going to be in my toolbox for a long time, and I look forward to the future discovery of what it can do for me. Check it out at Raycast.com. Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. Did you know that you can email me at allison at podfeet.com anytime you like? If you have a question or a suggestion, just send it on over to me. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Now, if you want to join in the fun of the conversation, I've mentioned it before, but you can always join our Slack community at podfeet.com slash Slack, where you can talk to me and all of the other lovely nocilla castaways, including Bart. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. 
You can support the show at podfeed.com slash Patreon, or you can do a one-time donation at podfeed.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, like I mentioned earlier, head on over to podfeed.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.